But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season and its leaves does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. Psalms 1 verses 2 and 3. Hello, everybody, and welcome back for the first time in a little while to the Streams of Water Bible Study podcast. My name is Tyler Alverson, and with me is Andy Baumberger. It's good to be back. It is really good to be back. It's been quite a while. I know all of our uh, all of our listeners were just were just anxious for us to have another episode to continue on this Micah series. So edge of their seats, man. Edge of I know. Their seats. I know. Um, but uh, very, very happy to be be back to it um, and uh, getting back into Micah a little bit uh, today. Yeah, we took a, a few months off. Uh, there's been a lot going on and a lot happening, um, not just in church work, but also in our personal lives. Andy has had a, a lot of things happen to him and um, his family's been been really strong, of course, in a in a lot of difficulty, Andy, and uh, thankful for you and for the example that you've set, even in really difficult times. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, for those who for those who don't might not know, um, within the last couple of months, it's been really, really kind of uh, crazy times. Really, really difficult time in my life. Um, my mom. Uh, beginning of July, well, late June, um, you know, just really uh, deteriorated, you know, rapidly with her, with her illness, with her battle with uh, cancer, which she'd been struggling with for uh, a little over a year and a half. And things just got, you know, worse and worse. And even before that, um, you know, I had been considering moving from Massachusetts um, back from Cape Cod back home to be with my family, to be with my uh, mom, you know, when things had uh, not progressed. And then, so I was getting everything ready kind of together for the move to get, come back to Tennessee. And, um, and unfortunately, you know, my mom just kept getting worse and worse and she passed away at the very beginning of July. So it's been a huge adjustment, you know, in just a, a lot of ways, you know, I can't, I got, um, I came down as quickly as possible to, to get there and was able to um, spend some time with my mom and my family before she passed. It, but um, um, didn't even go back to, to Cape Cod after that. Just uh, moved down a um, little bit more. Uh, well, obviously a lot more abruptly than expected, but uh, just through it all, um, the church family in Cape Cod has been really um, helpful, really encouraging. One of the um, brothers there drove my car all the way uh, down there from from there down here and um, just was a big help and um, just so much love from church family up there and down here and from my new church family I'm going to be starting a new work with a church in North Georgia near Chattanooga I'm going to be living with my dad for a little while so that's a huge blessing so just a lot of changes a lot of things uh, going on um, you know, and so obviously couldn't couldn't do the podcast, but um, I'm happy to kind of get back into doing it and in more of a normal uh, routine. Hopefully, we'll we'll see how it goes. Still adjusting to a lot of things, but um, 
yeah, that's a little bit of um, what's been going on in our lives. And um, we're just thankful for God's uh, goodness in all of it. Um, but definitely, definitely a difficult time. So I've been talking a lot about what's going on. What's What's been going on with you, Tyler? Well, things have, things have been going. I'm sure many of our listeners know that my mom is also battling against, against cancer in a couple of different places. So I uh, appreciate the listeners' prayers about that. Uh, that we're continuing to fight against that and continuing to get good results and prayerful that that's going to continue to be the case. But other than that, you know, ministry stays busy throughout the summer. Um, Blessed by the Seven Oaks Church here in Mayfield. Been here for more than a year now, and they're still putting up with me. So uh, bless their hearts on that. Just, yeah, I know. I know. Andy, Andy couldn't put up with me to the point that he moved to Massachusetts, but um, uh, thankful. I'm a little closer to you now, so. Yeah, yeah. Four hours is not as much as 24 hours. <laughs> um, but uh, it's throughout it all, uh, thinking about what you said, Andy, and, and what's been going on here in, in Mayfield, it's just, it's an amazing to be a Christian. And it's the best thing in the world to be connected to the vine and to be connected to Christ, to have hope through difficulty and the community to surround you. What a What a blessing that is. And that's the... That's the reason we're able to do things like this, this podcast. We hope to promote that and to connect people with that. And if people are connected with that, we hope to deepen that connection. Uh, to, to look at that kind of a difficult chapter in Micah chapter five. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, that's really why, you know, we, we do what we do in far as ministry and, and doing this, this podcast is because the, you know, the word really is, uh relevant for our lives and i've told you know many people through what's going on in our family's life i just don't know i don't understand how people you know get through something like this without having one a church family but more importantly you know uh, a faith uh, in god a hope and uh what comes beyond this life um because i mean you know even even with with those huge blessings it's incredibly difficult it's incredibly uh, painful more than, you know, I could even have thought or imagined, but, um, you know, there's, you know, so many, um, great passages in God's word that you you can hold on to and you can say, you know, I've got a hope here. I've got something to sustain me, uh, through something like this. And, um, you know, that's a huge, huge gift. Um, and so that's, you know, that's our, you know, I know our driving, uh, passion, you know, and studying the word and talking about it and teaching it is, you know, being able to learn more about uh, God and who Jesus is, because, you know, when when things like this happen in your lives and the, and the rubber meets the road, you, you need something, you need something weighty, you need something uh, good and, and beautiful and strong to, to really uh, anchor you, you know, as um, the Bible talks about hope being an anchor um, to our soul. So, um, yeah, so I'm very excited to, um, you know, kind of explore Micah chapter five today. And like you said, it's very obs- kind of, well, not very, but kind of an obscure passage. Maybe parts of it are familiar to uh, some of our listeners. Difficult to work through um, some of the things here, but I think really um, lots of relevant uh, lessons for us as well. Um, we're far removed from the original audience and situation, but still a lot of hopeful things and I think helpful um, lessons as well to be learned from Micah 5. 
especially looking back at what we've talked about in Micah so far in the first four chapters about, you know, the judgment that has we've seen throughout the book, but also the hope that's been presented. And we've talked about how Micah kind of goes back and forth with those things, the judgment for sin that not only other nations are going to experience, but that Israel is going to experience, but then the hope that God is going to provide as he continues to take care of his people, as he continues to supply for his people. And that hope is really going to come to the forefront of Micah chapter five. Yeah. Yeah. And we're, we're going to, we're going to see a, a renewal of those, those hopeful themes that we've seen in uh, chapter four and other places about the Messiah and the kingdom that he's going to bring um, to provide that, that promise through a really difficult time, a time of real tor- turmoil uh, for the people that the Micah was uh, writing to, and so we are going to see that hope, and we're going to we're going to see again some of the themes of of, of of God as shepherd and the Messiah as shepherd that we've already seen in Micah. That we're going to see more in Micah. It's a consistent theme uh, throughout. So um, I think a lot of really really important. Uh, things to draw out as we go through here. You want to you want to go ahead and uh, read a little bit, and then we can talk about some of the specifics. Absolutely. So the chapter is fifteen verses long. So how about I'll take the first eight, and uh, you take the last seven. How about that? Sounds good. All right. So this is Micah chapter five and verse one. Now, daughter who is under attack, you slash yourself in grief. A siege is set against us. They are striking the judge of Israel on the cheek with a rod. Bethlehem Epaphrath, you are small among the clans of Judah. One will come from you to be a ruler over Israel for me. His origin is from antiquity, from ancient times. Therefore, Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of the ruler's brothers will return to the people of Israel. He will stand and shepherd them in the strength of the Lord. In the majestic name of the Lord as God, they will live securely, for then his greatness will extend to the ends of the earth. He will be their peace when Assyria invades our land, when it marches against our fortresses. We will raise against it seven shepherds, even eight leaders of men. They will shepherd the land of Assyria with the sword, the land of Nimrod with the drawn blade. So he will rescue us from Assyria when it invades our land, when it marches against our territory. Then the remnant of Jacob will be among many peoples, like the dew from the Lord, like showers on the grass, which do not wait for anyone or linger for mankind. Then the remnant of Jacob will be among the nations, among many peoples, like a lion among animals of the forest, like a young lion among flocks of sheep, which tramples and tears as it passes through, and there is no one to rescue them. Verse 9, your hands shall be lifted up over your adversaries, and all your enemies shall be cut off. And in that day, declares the Lord, I will cut off your horses from among you, and will destroy your chariots. And I will cut off the cities of your land, and throw down all your strongholds. And I will cut off all, all sorceries from your hand, and you shall have no more tellers of fortunes. And I will cut off your carved images, and your pillars from among you. And you shall bow down no more to the work of your hands. And I will root out your Asherah images from among you and destroy your cities. And in anger and wrath, I will execute vengeance on the nations that did not obey. Awesome. 
Well, going back to Micah chapter 5 and verse 1, as we start to walk through this, we've said that Micah's transitioned from judgment to hope several different times. And Micah chapter 5 begins with a message of judgment, doesn't it? That's right. And um, this is really a warning, you know, in, in telling, telling the people to, to get ready for, for what's coming. Um, you go back to uh, chapter uh, 4, and this is a continuation of, of that warning that we see started in chapter 4. Verse 10 there says, Rise and groan, O daughter of Zion, like a woman in labor. For now you shall go out from the city and dwell in the open country. You shall go to Babylon. There you shall be rescued. There the Lord will redeem you from the hand of the en- your enemies. So there's hope there, but he's also saying, you know, Babylon's coming. You know, there's going to be some difficult days ahead, some painful days ahead. And then in verse 11 of chapter 4, he says, Now many nations are assembled against you. Let her be defiled. Let our eyes gaze upon Zion. So, you know, they, you know, the Lord has plans that these nations don't know about, and he's got a plan to protect his people, but there, there's, there's real danger coming. There's real punishment coming. And so he's saying, you know, muster your troops, get, get ready because a siege is coming. You're going to be, you're going to be a uh, judge. Um, you're going to be um, in, in this a time of, of punishment with a rod. They strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. So this is, this is serious language here because there's a serious uh, warning and threat coming uh, to God's people. Of course, the northern kingdom of Israel is going to experience destruction and captivity from Assyria. The southern kingdom of Judah is going to experience that from Babylon. I think it's interesting that in chapter 5 and verse 1, Andy, they specifically, uh, Micah specifically talks about how they're going to strike the judge or the king, the leader of Israel, on the cheek with a rod. That stands in contrast with what we find as we move on to verse number 2. As the difficulties come, the kings are going to fall, the leaders of Israel are going to be struck. But, verse 2, from the city of Bethlehem, a very small city among the clans of Judah, there's going to come a ruler over Israel, a ruler that's going to rule over Israel on God's behalf. Who is this ruler that we're talking about, Andy? Who, who is this ultimately fulfilled in? Yeah, we, we believe that this is the, the prophesied Messiah, that that person is, is Jesus, the, the king of the universe, the king of Israel and of the, of the whole world. So we think this is, uh, we believe this is pointing forward to, to, to Jesus as that uh, Messiah. And um, although Micah didn't understand uh, quite who exactly he was talking about, his readers wouldn't have fully understand everything. I wouldn't have fully understood everything about the Messiah. This is a comforting message to know that even though there's going to be some political turmoil, there's going to be uh, governmental chaos, um, nations around you are going to uh, come to attack you, and kings are going to be struck and overthrown. Uh, there's a king who's going to come, and he's going to be a strong ruler. And we're going to learn a little bit more about this uh, ruler I love in verse two there it says who's coming forth is from of old from ancient days now we could you know talk about what exactly that means but I I, I believe that means that this is this is a um, this is you, you could you could see this as as saying this is God's plan from ancient 
ancient days that he was preparing this for a long time. Or you could read this as this ruler is has always existed. He's coming from eternities, this eternal ruler. So as you're going through chaos now, a ruler is going to come that is unchanging, that is eternal, and that's going to enter in and provide um, protection and victory and peace for God's people. Yeah, a, a ruler's coming who's going who actually exists right now. That ruler's going to be born in Bethlehem. I can't help but go to Matthew chapter two. You know, we Andy, I think, correctly suggested that this is talking about Jesus, this ruler who's going to be born in Bethlehem. And in Matthew chapter two, that's how those who were paid to know the law and teach the law, that's how they understood this passage. So this is Matthew two and verse one. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem, where was Jesus born, Andy? Bethlehem. Bethlehem. Yeah, that's what the text says. It says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived in Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? What is he? A king. That there's going to be this king coming. And so here's a king that's been uh, already suggested in verse one, born in Bethlehem. For we saw a star at its rising and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed, all Jerusalem with him. So he assembled all the chief priests and the scribes of the people. These are the people who knew the Bible, right? They knew the Old Testament like the back of their hand. So he asked them, the experts, where the Christ, the Messiah, would be born. And their response is in verse 5, in Bethlehem of Judea, they told him. Because that is what is written by the prophet. This might sound familiar. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah, because out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Um, so, again, we have here uh, even the Gospel of Matthew, the chief priests and scribes who were asked about where the Christ would be born. They're pointing back to Bethlehem and saying this is the place where it's going to take place. Yeah, that's absolutely right. So we see that Matthew is careful to point out that, you know, this is, you know, he's, he's showing that this is what they were looking forward to. And this is this is fulfilled in Jesus. You know, later on in Jesus's ministry, uh, people even say, well, you know, this this can't be the Messiah because he's from from Nazareth, not realizing that he was um, indeed born in um, in Bethlehem. So. We see that predicted hundreds of years before um, Jesus' Jesus' birth in Beth Bethlehem. This is a this is really a faith building thing. Uh, this this shows the the inspiration of Scripture. This shows you know the foreknowledge that, that the prophets had, even though they didn't see the the full picture, they were able to see what was coming in in some in some sense as God revealed it. And so in verse two, you're saying he's saying, "Oh Bethlehem." who are too little among the clans of Judah from you shall come forth. One is to be a ruler in Israel. And not only is this pointing forward to Jesus as the Messiah being born in Bethlehem, this is also calling back to a previous ruler in Israel who was born in Bethlehem, uh, David, um, who was, who came from an unlikely place, Bethlehem. He was an unlikely choice as ruler. And he, he rose up to, to do great things in Israel. So I think, this is not only pointing forward to Jesus, but also reminding um, the audience that, you know, a David-like ruler is going to come. And then he's going to be even greater 
than David. He's going to be a shepherd like David. He's going to be from Bethlehem like uh, David, uh, but he's going to be even greater in the way that he rules over over Israel. So I think that's important to point out as well. Yeah, the Davidic themes and the Davidic overtones of this king who's coming is is something that uh, Micah is certainly going out of his way to point out that David was a shepherd. This king is going to be a shepherd. David was from Bethlehem. This king is going to be from Bethlehem. And until the time that this king comes, God's people, Israel, is going to have a pretty difficult time, right? In, in verse 3, it says that Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor has given birth, and then the ruler's brothers will return to the people of Israel. Um, so kind of a kind of a challenging verse there in verse 3, but perhaps pointing towards the fact that Israel is going to be in captivity. They're going to go through great difficulty. They're going to seem as if they're abandoned until she who is in labor has given birth. A lot of commentators find it interesting that only the mother is mentioned in this passage. And perhaps, Andy, you might have a little bit more to say about this, but perhaps this is referring to Mary, the virgin, who gave birth to the Lord Jesus, this king who's being prophesied here, that when uh, this Israel is going to go through a lot of difficulty until Jesus comes on the scene, until Jesus is born as the Redeemer and the Messiah and the Christ. And when that happens, this new Israel is going to emerge that as we continue throughout the passage, it's going to include both Jew and Gentile. Yeah, I think that's a good way to, to understand it, that, you know, that, um, you know, during this you know, of course, when Assyria uh, overtakes Israel, they're scattered, they're essentially destroyed. And then Babylon comes in um, and brings uh, Judah into exile, disperses many people there. This is a time of, you know, great chaos for God's people. This is a time of uh, dispersion where people are spread out um, just to just to survive, essentially. And um, they're ruled by their enemies for many, many years. And there's this promise of this ruler that's going to bring um, restoration to Israel. He's going to bring renewal and unity and bring, bring back um, the brothers um, to return and make, make Israel a, a great nation once again. And we know that that um, is not literal Israel in the same way. It's, we believe that that is um, the new Israel that includes um, a remnant of the Jewish people, but also invites in uh, the whole, the whole world. So this is a great, this is a great hope. Again, they don't, you know, as they're reading this, as they're hearing this prophecy from Micah, they don't understand all of this, but it does give them comfort in this difficult time these, that are, that's happening in their lives and that's coming ahead of them to know God's got a plan for all this. God's, God's not surprised when Assyria comes in, when Babylon comes in he's he's not given up on his people so this is a this is a comforting thing and one more one more point from um uh from verse two that really plays into that idea of this this uh, comforting promise is uh this the character of this king he's from humble bethlehem a place of little reputation a small place. He's got humble origins, but he's also got great origins because he's from ancient days. He is this eternal king coming from from years and years in the past. He's he's already existing now. God's got this plan for this, and he's 
coming to rule his people. So there's this contrast of this humble origins, but also these great origins, ancient origins. Uh, and we see that fulfilled in Jesus, that he, um, you know, was born in Bethlehem. He grew up in a, um, you know, backwoods place, if, if you want to put it that way, of Nazareth, had very humble beginnings, was born um, uh, to, uh, you know, a pretty poor family, it seems like. Um, and yet he was also, he was also, um, we believe, the eternal God who is from ancient origins, and he comes into the world uh, to rule his people. So we see echoes of that here in, in Micah. Yeah, and that's, uh, that's something you see throughout the entirety of Jesus' life, that he's the Christ and has a great power to heal. And, of course, um, multitudes of people would flock to hear his teaching, but he didn't have a place to lay his head. Whenever he rode into the city of Jerusalem about we believe probably about a week before he died, uh, he came humble, uh, mounted on a colt, on a donkey, and, and came into the city of Jerusalem in a way that demonstrated great humility, riding towards the greatest victory, the victory of victories, but approaching that in a way of humility. And of course, as Paul says in Philippians 2, even having the humility to be obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, having the humility, the, the eternal God, the king who we're talking about here from ancient days, willing to suffer on a cross for us. I mean, what, what humility that demonstrates when we start to exalt ourselves, how we should be humbled by the meekness of Christ. Yeah. Um, oh, go ahead. But then I, I was going to move on to verse four, Andy. Do you have anything else you want to mention before we kind of keep moving? Yeah, I was just gonna. I was just gonna say those are those are our great thoughts there, and um, really, really encouraging to us. And just thinking about, you know, Jesus as a shepherd, as you know, he's presented here in in Micah. You know, Jesus says in John ten, you know, I, I'm the kind of good shepherd that lays down his life for the sheep. So again, we see that humility that you're talking about that is most exemplified in the cross and his sacrificial love, giving his life. Uh, for his sheep, for um, his people. And so, you know, these these opening verses here, Micah 5, are really pointing us forward to that. It's a beautiful image of a shepherd, of a king um, that provides hope for the people. Just one more quick note. I know I'm kind of jumping around here, but this idea of the idea of shoes and labor has given birth, we suggested that that's talking about Mary there, and I think that's a great interpretation of it also could be referring um, to Israel as going through labor pains. We read about in chapter four there just a moment ago that it, uh, it says, verse 10, O daughter, o daughter of Zion, like a woman in labor, for now you shall go out from the city and dwell in the open country and shall go to Babylon. So talking about the, the exile kind of as, as labor pains, and you could say that those continue until uh, the remnant is preserved so as to produce Jesus when Mary does give birth uh, to Jesus in Bethlehem, that that's kind of the end of the, the labor pains. And also interesting that Jesus describe, describes his crucifixion in terms of uh, labor pains in John 16, and then his resurrection as, you know, a, a newborn baby coming into the world. So just some kind of random thoughts there before we move into verse four. Yeah, well said. I mean, that was well said. A good thing to point out. But in verse four, you know, we've been talking about this king and we've talked a little bit about his origin. We've talked a little bit about 
uh, where he's going to come from, not only in earth, but also his heavenly origins. We've talked about how he's going to already provide great victory, but we see something about how this king is going to reign in verse number four, that he is going to stand and shepherd, like you mentioned a few moments ago. Perhaps when we hear the word king, we think about someone who rules with an iron fist. We think about someone who lords themselves over people and enjoys that from a place of pride and arrogance. This king's not going to be that way. He's going to be more like a shepherd. It's the picture of, of like, I uh, like John 10, like you mentioned, the good shepherd, where uh, a shepherd cares for his sheep. He takes care of his sheep and he's going to lead them to the places where he needs to go. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want here. This king is going to be like a shepherd, but just because he's going to have the care and the love and the humility of a shepherd, don't think that he's going to be weak. Uh, he's going to shepherd in the strength of the Lord and in the majestic name of the Lord, his God, that his sheep, who he's going to shepherd, his subjects, who he's going to rule over as king, they will be able to live securely, and his greatness is going to extend even to the ends of the earth. So those are who are within his kingdom, those sheep who he is shepherding, they are going to have security, they are going to have safety, like like we said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That's what David said back in Psalm 23. And that's what this shepherd, Jesus, this king, is ultimately going to produce for his people. But it's not just for his people, but his greatness even extending to the ends of the earth. And I think, you know, we've, we, we've seen that, that uh, Jesus's greatness has been extended, not just within his kingdom, but all able to see how great Jesus is. Yeah, I really appreciate those thoughts there. And as you were pointing out, we again, we see this um, um, contrasting, but also uh, complementary um, pictures, elements of the shepherd's character, of Jesus's character, ultimately the, the humility, but also the power, the, uh, the personal nature of the shepherd, but also the strength and, and, and majesty. And I love this Im imagery of of the shepherd it's it's personal it's gentle it's sweet it's guiding that's how jesus treats us treats his people um but he's also glorious and majestic and mm -hmm. uh strong and worthy of honor and worthy of glory and we see that in that phrase the majesty of the name of the lord his god and he also deals um he deals uh powerfully with his the enemies of his people and they're they're dwelling secure he he disciplines um his own people but he also restores so i think that's really the the greatness of jesus so we see the the perfect um revelation of god's character of his holiness and his grace his uh, love and his um justice and we see that in the imagery of a of the shepherd uh king here that um protects his people he's personal with his people he knows his sheep by name as we're told in john 10 um, jesus says that of himself uh, but he ought, he's also out uh, for his own glory so that he will be known among the whole world and among all the earth going back to chapter 5 and verse 1 you know we've we've seen that there's going to be this great difficulty and there's going to be chaos and there's going to be attacking and i think ultimately 
what we've been building up to is perhaps what's said in verse 5, that Jesus is going to be their peace. In the midst of all of this chaos and difficulty, and they're hearing this message of judgment, and perhaps they're scared about the captivity that's coming. Well, know, know that this king's going to come, and he's going to shepherd, and he's going to provide peace, and that chaos is not going to prevail. That's what we see throughout the rest of verse 5 and into verse 6. Right, He talks about when Assyria invades, perhaps talking about literal Assyria, when they invaded Israel, of course they conquered them, but when they invaded Judah, they were pushed back. Perhaps it's pointing towards that. Perhaps Assyria is being used to talk about God's enemies as a whole. When they heard the name Assyria, they would have thought, oh, our enemy. Uh, perhaps this is being used as a, a symbol of, of God's enemies, God, the enemies of God's people as a whole, he says, when enemies come, our kingdom's going to be able to stand. We're going to have adequate leadership, seven shepherds. I think that's interesting that uh, shepherds are going to be the ones who are going to war against the enemies. Usually that doesn't happen. If you're going to send somebody out on the front line, it's probably not going to be a shepherd. But remember, we're talking about a shepherd, the shepherd, who's going to be uh, in the strength of the Lord and in the majestic name of the Lord his God. So, People from his kingdom are going to be raised up in his image against God's enemies, and they're ultimately going to be victorious. When the enemies come, when the enemies march, when the enemies invade, God's people are, are going to stand. Yeah, I like how you put that there, and I think we can see a double potential double fulfillment, which we sometimes see in prophecy, that there's a, a more immediate fulfillment uh, that would have been uh, relevant for uh, the people at that time that saying, you know, when Assyria comes, God's going to protect you. But ultimately, the ultimate peace, the ultimate protection comes in this new kingdom when when Jesus comes and destroys the real enemy, which is sin and evil and death, which is causing all these problems in the first place for um, Israel. And I like I like in verse five there, the beginning that you pointed out. It says he shall be their peace, not just that he will bring peace, but he will be their peace. Peace is found in a person. It's not just found in what's happening in your external events. You know, it's, you know, Jesus provides peace for us in himself. And I think uh, Paul uses similar language. I think it's in Ephesians 2, maybe maybe Ephesians 3. You might know better than me, Tyler. But I believe um, Paul uses that language. You know, Jesus, he himself is our peace and he preaches peace uh, to you and we we understand that that he provides the peace that passes understanding to us but he also is our uh, peace through what he did on the cross and and through the resurrection so i think that's really significant to point out as well and we see we see that being pointed to uh, here and in micah 5 yeah, what you were alluding to, Andy, you were right. It's Ephesians 2 and verse 14, which I was just about to read. You know, I, I think our minds are going down the same path we're, here. We're in sync uh, here. Yeah, Ephesians 2. Hey, even, even though it's been a little while, we're, we're still in sync. We're still on our game. That's right. So verse 14 of Ephesians 2, Paul says that he is our peace in the context of both Jew and Gentile being brought into the same group, groups that would have had a lot of hostility coming into one body. He is our peace. And then at the end of verse uh, verse 15, that he's going to make one new man from the two, which results in peace. And then you skip to verse 17. He came good news of peace. So Jesus is our peace. 
Jesus brings peace. Jesus preaches peace. He's all about bringing peace in the midst of chaos. And, and what a great message that is, not for just one who is a king, but one who is our great shepherd. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. So this this peace that the shepherd provides, it's a great uh, blessing uh, to us. When this chaos surrounds you, when this chaos surrounds Israel, but also in our own lives, to know that we have we have peace in the shepherd who who loves us and he is he is peace and he is peaceful but he's also a warrior for us and i think we see imagery of that there he's he's a powerful delivering uh, warrior and again i think i think this calls back to imagery of of david who was you know this gentle uh, shepherd who's playing his his harp and and writing songs and has got this tender heart but also is a great warrior and defended his sheep and um, defeated with God's help uh, the, the the bear and the lion and, and ultimately Goliath and many other of God's enemies. So I, I think we see that um, in, in Jesus as well, the way that he's, he's peaceful, he's gentle, he's lowly, um, but he's also a mighty warrior who, who fights for us and um, provides that protection. Amen. Perhaps zeroing in on uh, the original audience who would have been reading the book of Micah, you know, there's going to be this captivity coming. There's going to be this difficulty coming. What's on the other side of that captivity? What's on the other side of that difficulty? Verses seven, eight, and nine, Micah talks about this remnant that's going to be preserved, uh, that there's going to be a remnant of Jacob and they're uh, going to, you know, basically be everywhere. They're going to be powerful, like a lion among animals of the forest. We know that the lion is the king of the jungle. They didn't name the movie Lion King for no reason, right? The, the lion is the king. If you have a young lion among flocks of sheep, you better watch out. And so there's going to be this remnant of God's people, but it's not going to be a weak remnant because usually when you spread something out and you have a remnant, it's going to be pretty weak, but this is going to be a pretty powerful remnant of God's people that's going to be left. Yeah, again, another another hopeful image that God's not going to uh, leave his people um, weak and helpless and, you know, that they're not going to be driven out of existence when uh, this punishment and judgment comes upon them in the form of of Babylon and exile, um, that they're they're going they're going to to be strong. And they're going to be able to conquer their adversaries. And again, I think we we um, see the, the way that God preserves his people throughout history. He protects his people. He brings them out of the exile. But I think this, I mean, correct me if, if I'm wrong or if you have a different idea, but I think we're on the same page here that ultimately, again, this is fulfilled, I think, in the Messianic kingdom, God's people, uh, the church that um, Jesus establishes. Uh, a spiritual uh, kingdom that triumphs over the enemies of death and evil and will have everlasting victory through the lamb who is also the lion. Um, interesting imagery there th- describing Jesus, um, thinking about in comparison to what we see um, here. But I think it's there's this ultimate fulfillment in the messianic kingdom, which also reminds us of chapter four that we talked about now many months ago. Um, but this idea of um, this, this, uh, this beautiful kingdom that's going to happen in the 
the last days, the mountain of the house of the Lord is going to be established. It's going to be strong. All peoples are going to flow uh, to it. There's going to be peace there. There's going to be prosperity. So again, I think this is um, a message of hope for God's people after judgment. But we see the fulfillment of that in God's kingdom established through Jesus. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, perhaps a double fulfillment there, not only in the physical remnant of Judah as, or, and Israel as they were looking to the other side of the captivity, but also a remnant that's been preserved even to this day in the church. That is uh, where we don't always see the victory, uh, but we've been granted victory, and that victory is ultimately going to be experienced when our Lord Jesus, the shepherd and the king, returns. Looking at the last part of this chapter, Andy, if you're ready to move on to verses 10 through 15, God gives a series of statements that all have a very similar feel and a very similar structure where he's talking about, I'm going to remove this, and I'm going to remove this. He talks about horses, chariots. He says, I'll remove the cities of your land, tear down your fortresses. I'll remove sorceries. You will not have any more fortune tellers. I'll remove your carved images. He goes on to talk a little bit more about idols in verses 13. He says, I'm going to pull down the Asherah poles in verse 14, and I'm going to take vengeance on those who have not obeyed me, the nations that have not obeyed me in verse 15. And I think really the message that God is presenting there is that I'm take away in this, this remnant, which we talked about not only with physical Israel, but also spiritual Israel, this remnant, he says, I'm going to strip away those things that you would be tempted to place your trust in. This, isn't this a call to place our trust in the king who's coming, to place our trust in the king who is going to shepherd people in the strength of the Lord and his name is going to extend, his greatness is going to extend even to the ends of the earth, which is even recorded in Acts chapter 8. I think this is a call to not trust in your horses or chariots because the Messiah is going to bring peace. Don't trust in your idols or your sorceries because the Messiah is going to be the one who you're going to place your trust in. He's going to be the one who's going to provide peace. Yeah, I think that's really, I think that's really well said. It's a lot about uh, what we're trusting in, what we're putting our hope in. And, you know, in verse nine there, you know, again, there's this promise that we talked about, about how the enemies are going to be cut off, that God's going to protect from his, from the adversaries of people, of his people. And then as he jumps into verse 10, maybe perhaps one way to read this is saying, this is how I'm going to do it, that I'm going to protect you from your enemies. I'm going to help you triumph over them by purifying you from the things that are um, distracting you from putting your trust in me. You know, so maybe he's saying it's not going to be through your military might that you're going to conquer your enemies. It's not going to be because you're so strong. It's, it's going to be because I am allowing you to go through this time of judgment to remember to trust in your king, this shepherd king that's that's coming, um, that's going to 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 remind you um, who you should really follow, who you should really put your hope in. It's not in your horses, it's not in your chariots, it's not in uh, you know uh, witchcraft, your sorceries, not in your strongholds, not in your uh, false gods and your idols. All the things that Israel had turned to that had gotten them in this mess in the first place. He's saying 
I'm going to purge the evil uh, from you. And that's what's really going to provide you peace as this uh, kingdom is coming. And that's what's really going to uh, allow you to have uh, this true uh, victory. So perhaps that's uh, one way to look at it. And of course, very relevant uh, for us as well in times of trouble and times of need. Um, there's so many things that we, we might turn to. We might want to put our, our faith in, to put our trust in. Um, but really, there's there's no... No, nothing um, that we can look to that will help us other than our shepherd, our Messiah, our King, who is uh, Jesus. He's He alone will guide us through. He alone will take care of us. He alone will purify us from things that are leading us uh, to destruction. So uh, we see really God's heart here, I think, in the judgment that we see throughout uh, Micah. Is, is not because he's just delighting and condemning or because he takes any pleasure in, in bringing this judgment. It's because he wants to get rid of everything that is holding his people back from where they really should be. I think we miss the emphasis of what God says in verses 10 through 15 sometimes, that when we try to deal with different sins in our lives, we're placing our trust in all kinds of different things. I mean, what's the message? Oh, I'll, I'll take care of that. Uh, I'm going to take care of the sin in my life. I was actually uh, studying with a, a lady not too long ago, and, and we were talking about the possibility of becoming a Christian and being baptized into Christ. And one of the, the reasons that she said she didn't want to be baptized was because she needed to get her life together first. She needed to mm. deal with the sin in her life first. Uh, put it on her shoulders. But I mean, we do that sometimes, don't we? That yeah. it's all about me. I have to do this. I have to check all these boxes by my own strength. I have to remove this sin in my life and place my trust in the Lord. We have to place our trust in the Lord and realize that he's going to be the one who gives us the power and the strength and the capability to remove those things here. This is not saying that if you trust in me, then you're going to be able to remove these things. He says, I'm going to remove these things so that you can put your trust in me, so that you will place your trust in your king, your shepherd, the one who's going to bring peace. So I think that we sometimes get this backwards sometimes. We think to be acceptable to our king and shepherd, we by our own strength have to remove our sins. And I think we have a king who says, I want to help you with that. I want to be the one who gives you the capability to remove that from your life. I think that's a really, really great point, Tyler. And um, I think that's exactly what we should learn from this text here, you know, trusting what God can do. Cause I think you're, I think you're exactly right. You know, even, even as Christians in our battle with sin, we think the way I'm going to get rid of that is I'm just going to try harder and harder. I'm just going to be stronger. I'm going to be better. And certainly, certainly we have responsibility to kill the sin in our lives. We have responsibility. But the way that we do that is not just with pure effort of will. It's receiving the grace that God has given to us, receiving the strength and the wisdom that God wants to provide for us. And he will do it. He will do it in us if we trust in him. You know, if we like a sheep, you know, follow his leading like a, a subject, follow the king. You know, Tyler, uh, a dumb sheep doesn't doesn't make a very good shepherd, right? A dumb That's sheep right. make a very good king. 
And so we've got to realize who we are and receive God's grace and God's holiness and righteousness as a gift. And rather than uh, try to um, muster, you know, you know, muster uh, holiness by our own will and by our own uh, power, just trust in the shepherd and say, God, um, I don't know how to do it on my own, but but I'm, I'm trusting you. I, I know that you know the path. And so I'm going to I'm going to walk with you. And I think that's that's something that, um, that can really, really bless us and really benefit us to know and trust that God, if we trust in him, if we follow his lead as our shepherd and as our king, he's going to remove all the things in our lives that are causing this destruction. And it may not happen um, exactly how we want to, but we we have to learn uh, to follow him as as our good shepherd. I think that's why we sometimes struggle to eliminate sin in our lives. You know, we perhaps all find ourselves sometimes where I commit this sin and then I try really, really hard and I stay away from it for a few weeks, but then I fall back into it. And it's this, perhaps it's just one sin or a a handful of sins that we just really struggle with and we fall into them and then we step out of them and we think we're doing really well. And, and then we fall back into them and we go back out. And perhaps the reason we have that constant in and out, that constant going back to sin and turning away from sin, is because we're not really allowing God to deal with it. We're not placing our trust in him to help him deal with the sin in our lives. In uh, just a few days on Sunday, I'm going to be, I'm preaching through the Beatitudes and the second beatitude in Matthew 5 is blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Whenever I've read that passage in the past, I've always thought that it was about, you know, if you lost a loved one or if you went through a difficult circumstance in life and you're mourning, then God is going to give comfort. And I think he certainly does. I'm not denying that God doesn't impart comfort in, in those circumstances. But perhaps what Jesus is talking about in that context is that as Christians, as those who are blessed, as those who experience true happiness in life, we have a responsibility to mourn over sin, to mourn over the sin in our lives. I think sometimes, and you know, I'll I'll save this sermon for Sunday, Andy, but I I think sometimes the reason that we struggle with sin so much is because we don't mourn like we should. When we're brokenhearted over our sin, God is going to give us the comfort that we need. He's going to extend that help. He's going to extend that healing. He's not saying, blessed are those who try really, really hard to get rid of their sin and you stand on your own two feet because then God is going to give you comfort. Jesus says, look at the sin in your life, mourn over it, allow what breaks God's heart to break your heart. And that is when the comfort comes. That's when the victory comes over sin in our lives, when we allow him to deal with it through his grace and his power and his mercy combined with our effort and our obedience. Yeah, I love that, Tyler. And that reminds me of James chapter four, which talks about humbling ourselves before God and the grace that he gives to us when we humble ourselves and talks about drawing near to God and, and be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, your joy to gloom, which is really in line with what you're saying there is it's coming to God and mourning over our sin and humbling ourselves before him and saying, Lord, I submit my life to you. And I, I am, am, I am seeing the gravity of this. I don't want to live this way before 
and I'm drawing near to you. And that's, that's what, that's what changes us. That's what blesses us is, is giving our lives to God and drawing near to him and saying, saying, Lord, I give this to you. You know, you have the power, you have the strength. Again, I, I think both of us are, are not saying that this removes responsibility uh, from us, but um, we, we, we've got to come to God first because um, I think we, we try to fix it on our own um, in order so that we can please God and then come to him and say, okay, look at what I did, God. And now, now I'm right again. And that's, that's totally backwards. It's Jesus by what he has done and accomplishing the victory for us allows us to come before the throne of God for help and strength and time and grace in the time of need so that we can grow in holiness so that we can um, remove the sin in our lives. Jesus has done that for us in order to enable us to have the, the power to overcome, not by anything that we have done because of, uh, of who he is and what he's done for us. And, you know, that's, that's a lesson I've, you know, that I think we're all learning, but really I've, I, you know, I think I've been learning, um, you know, the last few years is that as you read the Bible more and more, you see that this Christian life is, is, is not, is not mainly about achieving. Although we do have passages that, you know, give us that, that imagery of running the race and pressing forward to the goal. And that's, that's absolutely right. But it's not, it's not mostly about achieving. It's about receiving what God wants to give as a gift. And that's what empowers us. Um, to to press on, and um, I think sometimes we get that reverse, like you're saying. We we try to achieve, we try to strive, uh, without just humbly receiving God's mercy uh, as a gift that He's trying to give us as a as our good shepherd. And I think we could let that be the challenge for this podcast episode. Uh, Andy and I, I guess, because we're rusty, we didn't talk about who was going to do the challenge. But <laughs> what what better challenge? than to say, uh, look at Micah chapter 5 as a whole. There's a king, there's a shepherd who is great. There's a king, there's a shepherd who brings peace. There's a king and there's a shepherd who loves us more than we can imagine, whose greatness extends to the ends of the earth. Place your trust in him to deal with sin in your life. What better challenge is, is there than that? Yeah, there's 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 really there's really not one. You know, that's that's what we're all called to do, and that's really the best thing for us to put our trust in in that King and that Shepherd that that will lead us. And you know, maybe maybe even look at John ten and reflect on you know what Jesus says about being a Shepherd there, and just think about all that God is for us and all the promises that He gives to us and all the hope that He provides and Think about all that he is for us as our shepherd and, um, and, and challenge yourself to, to put your trust in him, to humble yourself before him. And that's really what we should all do. And I think we'll be, I know we'll be blessed if we do that. Wow. The minor prophets are relevant. Andy, you've been on my toes, but I appreciate it. Um, <laughs> I, I think maybe we've been on each other's toes, but thankful that we were able to walk through this chapter together and, and hope those who were listening were able to enjoy it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, you know, this is this is challenging to me. Um, you know, I, I think I think our listeners will probably realize this by the way that we're talking. But this is 
you know, the things that we're talking about is this is not easy for us. You know, we're, 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 as we often do, we're preaching to ourselves. We're, we're talking to ourselves because it's so hard to trust. It's so hard, especially when you have, you know, these chaotic times in your life, like Micah was speaking to in his day. And, and like, you know, we've, we've talked about, we mentioned earlier that the, the chaos and turmoil in our lives is so difficult to, to trust, you know, when, when things happen that are outside of our control, often our immediate response is to try to fix it, to try to get back into control. But um, it is a beautiful thing, but also humbling thing just to say, I'm not in control. You are leading me where you want. And even if I'm in the valley of the shadow of death, you know, I'm not going to fear evil because you are with me as my shepherd, as David says in ta- Psalm 23. So um, definitely, definitely on my toes as as well. And I think, I think convicting for, for me and hopefully for, for those listening too. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. Andy, thank you for your thoughts in uh, Micah chapter five and appreciate you and appreciate your heart. Thank you to all of our listeners. Uh, we're, we're thankful to be back and we hope to be able to produce episodes every week like we were for a little while and and looking forward to getting back into the podcast grind but we're thankful for you (laughs) thankful for you bearing with us and uh, looking forward to next time thanks andy thanks tyler thank you for listening to streams of water bible study podcast if you have a question comment or idea for a future episode, connect with us on our private Facebook group called Streams of Water Bible Study Podcast, or send us an email at streamsofwater13 at gmail.com. That's streamsofwater13 at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.